Awesome. So I'm here with Tony Smith. Hey. And I think I've known you, what, close to 10 years now, right? Has it been? No, it was like 2011 or 2012 we met? Uh, actually, 11. 2011. Okay. Um, yeah. There's, you know, we, we met basically when I was working at the music store. Um, and I think we were talking about Rush. I think that's actually how we met. We were, we were talking about Getty Lee. Yeah. And it got into Rush, and then it went into Coheed, and then we just became friends. Pretty much, yeah. We walked over to Ralph's. Yeah. Uh, I think we got a couple Red Bulls, some Rockstars, oh, some Monsters. God, that, and that's what we lived off of when we were there. Oh, well, my God. That's yeah. your lifeblood there. That's the only thing that keeps me going, you know? I mean, especially when you're dealing with people all day. Like, I have to feel some kind of a high just to get through it, and caffeine <laughs> was my, my drug of choice. You mean... A guitar store customer service wasn't the high enough for you? I mean, sure, the chaos was pretty exciting, but yeah, I mean, just dealing with the crazy shit. But you are a Me. bass player. Usually, I, I claim Usually. that. Usually. You, you pretend to be a bass player. You play one on TV. Yeah, it's the, uh, well, bass only had four strings, and, you know, guitar had six strings. I'm not really good at math. Yeah. Or, or good with anything else, so I figured I'd do the lesser of all the evils. I, I tried doing drums first. Did you really? And, uh, yeah, I had, a, I had a Tama Rockstar, and my brother, who's a year younger, uh-huh. ended up getting drums, and he was a better drummer. So it was, uh, okay, so one of you guys, my dad said, look, one of you guys has to do something different. You can't both play drums. Yeah, one (laughs) one kid banging on things in the house is enough. So uh, no, went down to a pawn store, uh, found a old PV foundation. It was like in 1986. How old were you when you found the bass? Holy crap, 16. 16, okay. Yeah. So still in high school. Yeah, still in high school. Uh, so, yeah, on a whim, went down there. Found one for 150 bucks with the old molded hard shell case. Oh, it's so legit. Yeah, I didn't even know what I had at the time. It was a shame. Uh, <laughs> I mean, that's then, most, I think, everybody's first instrument. Like, <laughs> we all think it, it sucks comparatively because you see $10,000 guitars mm-hmm. and shit. But I, I miss my very first electric. You know, yeah. like, we always have something better than we think we have. We oh. always regret it. it. You know, it... Hindsight's more than twenty twenty. Same thing. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, after I, I upgraded, I went from a four string and then uh, the PV, and that was real big into Steve Harris. Right. So Iron Maiden. Oh yeah. And you know when you're in high school, for me, Iron Maiden was probably like the biggest one, even bigger than what Metallica was and Megadeth, Slayer, and everything else. Black Sabbath. Right. Um, you know, going through the uh, late mid to late eighties. Sweet. Through school, so oh, yeah, it's showing my age. The yeah. uh, <laughs> It's heavy metal was definitely prevalent, but also hair metal bands are still around. The glam rock stuff, yeah, exactly. I so gotcha. Poison, Rat, Def Leppard, uh, Bon Jovi, yeah, uh, Britney Fox, Cinderella, <laughs> Cinderella, yeah. <laughs> so I mean, it, it's uh, high school is, and then of course you had you know all the hip hop was coming out. So you true, had, yeah, like NWA, Run DMC, even the early stuff, yeah, and then even coming into like Belby of DeVoe. Mm-hmm. So you've got a high school that's very divided. Right, where right. you have heavy metal, you have the hair metal bands, and then everything else that was left kind of fell into dance, hip hop, pop, R and B. Pretty, pretty divided. Then, really, I mean, you so think school, yeah. they seem pretty opposite of each other when you think about it. Yeah, um, and uh, high school's not bad enough with all the right. Things. Yeah, I know. Hey, let's find another <laughs> way to you know segregate ourselves into tribes. Exactly. <laughs> find one leader, and then yeah, you know, I, I think it's funny. I fell into the musician tribe, and. Coming up in the 80s, the biggest thing they'll always tell you is, why are you playing music? And you want to say, you know, because I love music. It touches me. It speaks to me. I can touch other people with music. I I can reach out to people. Yeah, yeah. No, man, it was for girls. (laughs) Okay, so in uh, 1986, going through 1989, I saw John Taylor Mm -hmm. playing bass with Duran Duran. Nice. And here's, they're getting into the arena tour. So did you see him live, or was this something like you just like saw him on TV or something? Or well, first saw him on TV. Nice. And this is back when MTV had music videos. Well, they were playing actual music. Yeah. 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 Exactly. <laughs> so they had the arena tour. So we were going to see them on tour, and luckily you see them on MTV, and that's you know the old thirteen channel rotary TV where you have the cable box on top. Oh, we had one of those where you can move the selector and oh, pick yeah. a channel. Yeah. So this is going back to dinosaur. I mean, dirt was fun when it first was invented. I'm sure. So going back through. Uh, I saw that. I was like, man, these girls are screaming for this guy. And he's mm-hmm. got the bass up a little higher, and he's slapping and popping. He's got a yeah. bandana hanging from the side. <laughs> and the, the whole front row, I mean, like the first seven rows were like all girls. And they're throwing bras and everything on oh, stage. Of course. And, and you, for me, it was coming from like heavy metal 
I mean, like you want to throw the horns up, the Ronnie James deal and everything. Right, right. And then all of a sudden you see a band where there's just nothing but girls. It's like, all right, I'm like freshman going sophomore yeah. in high school. I'm not the most attractive guy. Um, I'm pretty humble and hormones abound. Right. I want girls to take interest in me. So Yeah, and I mean, that's the thing too about heavy metal is back then, especially, I think even earlier than that was like, you know, when you get into like Rush or uh, Rush in particular, you know, I always heard like, what do you find at a Rush concert? Just dudes. dudes. Yeah, just all dudes. <laughs> but that's like how it was for heavy metal. Even like when yeah. I was growing up, it was v- a very one-sided yes. type of demographic. And now I'm actually finding a lot more girls liking uh, heavier type of of music, even like progressive metal. Like oh, you get you get artists too, like huge ones. Like you get Yvette Young, yeah. um, who's an amazing player. You get um, Sarah Longfield, yes. who's just outstanding. And you get a lot of these female, like Nita Strauss, even you know playing now for Alice yes. Cooper, and just tearing it the fuck up. And I love that. And so you, it's more, it feels more like a community. Yeah, because it's it's more inclusive. It feels more inclusive now than it was back then. Although I could be wrong, I'm sure there were plenty oh, of places it, no, where it was. It's absolutely different. It's absolutely yeah, completely uh, different. Like when I was growing up, the biggest female bands were on one side was the Go Go's, right, right, and you got Pat Benatar, uh-huh. and then on the far, you know, Rock Extreme, Joan Jett, and then on the other side, you really didn't have a lot of females until bands like Vixen came along, and then Lita Ford. So it wasn't until then, of course, you know, her, her breakout, Close My Eyes Forever with Ozzy Osbourne. Right, right. So there was nothing in the middle except for hip-hop, R&B. Then you, a lot of the female singers, well, the boy bands at that time were just taking off. So you find four or five kids, all male, that can sing. Yeah. can sing in harmony and dance. And that's when MTV started making that switch. All of a sudden, rock was yeah. just not as popular because it's just been tried and true. Especially and I, I think... You know, in their defense, to play devil's advocate for MTV, I think they made that switch because of that whole demographical divide that oh, we were just to. talking about. Yeah, they, in order to survive as a business, they needed to find something to include the other half of the human population, it, and that was boy bands. Absolutely. Well, if you think about it, when you're growing up at that time, we had Headbangers Ball, and yeah. that's where yeah. you got to see heavy oh, metal yeah. bands, the hard rock acts. The videos with the bosom, oh yeah, huge breasted women mm-hmm. flaunting it off. You, I mean, you got David Lee Roth showing girl with under boob and everything. And oh yeah, you get the video vixens. Yeah, the video vixens. And now that's you know par for the course for any YouTube video nowadays. Yeah, uh, but at the time, women weren't showing that type of stuff. So to be f- in a video, and they were, of course, they were being sexualized. I mean, yeah. everybody oh, yeah. thinks of Tawny, absolutely Tawny Katane. Yeah. On the hood of the Jaguar. No, no brain. With David Coverdale and White yeah. Snake. I mean, there were so many kids that just had those posters that got worn out. Yeah, no, for sure. For so, sure, pages that stuck together. Oh, but yeah. But after that, you start as a company, a production company, you start looking at your demographics and mm-hmm. your numbers and going, hey, this headbanger ball thing is on for three hours and we're just not getting the numbers for it. Right. Let's cut it down to two. Let's cut it down to one. Let's put it on at midnight. And then now we have to fill that gap, and we have to yeah. follow the trends, obviously, which was the boy bands. Yeah. And from the boy bands, I think it eventually just evolved into reality TV. Well, it's you know? one thing. Every fan, if you think, and myself included, every fan out there loves the bands that they love. Yeah, of course. And you, I, I've been guilty of it myself. I have fanboyed out, literally. Okay, oh, yeah. One of my hugest influence, Rudy Sarzo. Yeah. I had the chance to sit down and play with him on stage. And I, I was nervous. I was sweating. I totally fanboyed out because here's oh, a yeah. guy that was up there just doing everything on stage. Not only can the guy play. Oh, yeah. But he's jumping around and he's doing. He, he had the stage presence. You yes. know, he had that rock and roll vibe. Still does. Yeah. You and know, he, where it's like, yeah, he's a performer for sure. It's not just a talented musician, but a yeah. performer. Oh, I mean, this is a guy that, like with Whitesnake, he'd be up yeah. there and he'd lick the neck of the guitar. And yeah, I don't know how, you know, I've never understood how girls get out of bras that fast, but there were bras up on the stage, panties. And, and you know, for me, for a young, impressionable kid, you're looking going, yeah, that's 16, watching this on TV, you that know? dude is the shit. Look yeah, at that. I want to be that guy I be that when guy. I grow up. Yeah. I want to grow my hair out and I want to be that guy. So when I started going a little bit more rock and roll with hair bands, unfortunately, yeah, yeah. I was still being pulled a little more towards heavy metal. It's it's always there, you know. It's, it's always there in the back of your mind, um, you know. Like especially for me, I'm yeah. very heavy metal oriented, um, but I do play other things, and it's yeah. it's to branch out and to be different and to do different things. But 
um, yeah, it's always there. You know, it's always in the back of my mind, and you can hear it in just about every riff I play. There's always some <laughs> element because that's just who I am. You know, that's well, yeah. that's who I am as a musician. I'm sure that's the same with you. Absolutely, it's listen. The radio at the time was uh, was like KLOS, yeah, ninety five point five, and they were like always the. Hard rock, where you got the seventies, you got yeah, the of course. St- you got the standards, mm-hmm. ACDC, Zeppelin. Led Zeppelin, mm-hmm. and you got the songs Jimi Hendrix. You're going to hear the same stuff constantly. The top twenty songs that are going to be played every day. Right, right. To this day, that radio station still does it. Oh yeah, yeah. And they're they're it, still going strong. It's oh, yeah. classic rock, and there's a reason why those songs are timeless. The melody, the hooks, the hauntingness yeah. of it. The uh, artists who were actually artists at the time. So. It wasn't just press a button, repeat, press, repeat. Yeah. You so know, like, amazing. I mean, there, sure, there's a level of talent for, you know, modern music today, but to, to sit down and play an actual wooden instrument yeah. and create the stuff that they created back then. I mean, even, even now, there's still tons of people playing like that, but that's, to me, is just so much farther beyond yeah. using any type of, like, the digital software. Like, there's a lot of good music that I love that uses a ton of digital effects and, you know, processing or, or drum beats and things like that, but... But for me, it's like, that's what gets me is like ACDC. You get two guitars, a bass, drums, and a singer. Yeah. Perfect. Yeah. Absolutely perfect. <laughs> and it's just, it's, it blows my mind. It's, uh, yeah, it, it's very, it's different strains with the, with the way music goes. Cause like, for instance, I could not stand rap. My brother was into rap. Right. And my friends were into rap. And it wasn't until I saw on MTV Unplugged. Mm hmm. Uh, I believe it was that, or it wasn't VH1 at the time. Should have been MTV Unplugged. LL Cool J. Nice. Came with a real band. Really? So he had two guitars. He had a upright bass player. He had an actual drummer. He had a that's horn legit. section. And he did five oh, songs that's legit. with a real live band. And there's him rapping in front. And yep. Immediately love it. Immediately then, love it. Absolutely. And, immediate, and so after that, he started taking a band on tour with him. Good. Where everyone else was like, the biggest thing at the time was run DMC. Yeah. So here's the DJ. Yep. Here's your turntables. Turn here's your records. Got the speakers. And what else do you have? Other guys, guys doing you know uniform dance. Yeah. Hip hop. The choreography dance. stuff. Exactly. Yeah. And so, this guy was using that to emphasize. He was using you know LL Cool J was using the the backing band to emphasize him. Yeah. And I think that's what it does because if you have behind you real musicians all locked in sync playing in the yep. pocket and it's perfectly timed and they're just on it it adds like this whole background to oh, yeah. whatever the lead performer is, whether it's a singer, a guy who's rapping, um, it's shit, it could even be like another guitar player, like Steve Vai, because yeah. he's up there making it sing. It just, it adds this level of, oh God, I don't, I, I don't know the best way to describe it. It would just be like this background of well, perfect music. For instance, Prince. Yeah. Here's a guy who yeah. had almost 20 guys on stage playing. Yeah. And to be able to go to each person, each background vocals, everything, and have a spotlight between songs. Right, right. Where each person was, the spotlight was on them, they got yes. the solo. And they got their time and, the and their moment. And the funk was there, yeah. the groove and everything. Here's a guy who played with three hours yeah. with the new power generation, and everybody stayed there for every song. And you could see the artist just dripping sweat. And It's so good. Yeah. It, but on the other hand, look at a band like the Beatles. Mm-hmm. Let's go to a rooftop. We have no power. Doesn't mm-hmm. matter. We'll grab some acoustic guitars. Yeah. And we're still going to do it. Ringo can still bang on something. Yeah. And that's uh, with a lot of bands I talk to, bands I help mentor and talk to. You write your songs. That's great. But if you've got, take at least three of your best songs, be able to play them acoustically. Yeah. Or even like in a completely different style. Correct. You know, mix it up and just give somebody who is in love with that song. If yeah. it's one of your best songs, people are going to like it, obviously, more than some of the others. Um, and changing up and giving it some, something different. Because then it, it comes out of left field. You don't have to, you know, you're not playing the same repetitive thing, and you give somebody a unique experience by playing it differently. Covers, unfortunately, it's maybe I'm kind of biased on it. I've been in cover bands. I've been in tribute bands. Right, I've, right. I've grown out the hair. I've worn wigs. I've <laughs> the uh, thing with cover bands, it, you can be good at a lot of different things. Yeah. And if you have, say, weddings are perfect for cover bands. Oh, absolutely. Um, oh, yeah. You know, a Wednesday night at a local club. Yeah, is great for a cover band. You can hear all the 80s, 90s, whatever you're deciding to cover at that time. Exactly. And that's fine. I mean, there's even mariachi cover bands. So, but I like playing original music. Yeah, me too. And connecting with other musicians, really enjoying going, hey, this is our baby. This is a song we put together. What do you think? And then you play it live. And you see people go, wow, that last song you played really got me. Like, say, I lost my job, and that song really hit home to me or yeah, whatnot. Yeah, resonated, yeah. Yeah, so you get that, that connection. And that feeling as a musician is yeah. just 
what we fucking live for. Well, for me at least. If you're doing, let's say you're doing 90s covers, you're not yeah. going to, I'm sorry, you're not going to sing a Lane Stanley, mm-hmm. Allison Chains song better than Lane Stanley. You're Stanley? not gonna, <laughs> Stan, yeah. Uh, Stan Lee, yeah, the Stan, Stan Lee wrote comic oh. books, I think. <laughs> yeah, so Stan Lee, yeah. Uh, yeah, Stan Lee, the man. Yes, the Excelsior. man himself. Rest yeah, in peace. Yeah, rest in peace. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, no, I get what you're saying is like, yeah, you're not going to sound like that guy, even as a guitar player or a drummer, you're not going to yeah. sound like that other musician. You're going to sound like yourself playing that other musician stuff. Well, absolutely. You I mean, know, you're not going to be the next Eddie Vedder, Chris Cornell. Yeah. Rarely are you going to hear, I mean, even Nirvana, you can yeah. attempt to cover, you contribute to them. You right. Can right. Give a, you know, this is my take on it. But well, yeah. if you take the song and change it a little bit, and this is where some of the, uh, Hip hop, R and B, and especially your electronic pop artists are excelling right now. Yeah, any covers they're doing, they're doing a different take on completely it. different style. Yeah. Like right now, what's what's that one um, Lana Del Rey's cover in Summertime? Yeah, and she's doing like the uh, the version that, um, oh god, what's the name? Sublime. That Sublime oh, yeah. did. So she's doing her own version, which is like slow and haunting, and it's yeah. like that's just her. So I respect that because that's yeah. one musician playing something as themselves and not trying to sound like Sublime. Uh, another and band? And I like that. Within Temptation. Oh, yeah? Great band. They did the same song, and they kick it up by a hundredfold, and nice. it's heavy metal. Yeah, so it's like metal. a completely 180-degree turn from yeah. what Lana Del Rey did, and I love that. Yeah. I, I would listen to both of those covers. So anyway, back yeah. to <laughs> you at 16. Oh, God. Changing from a little bit of heavy metal, realizing that the direction you think you should go would be more just like glam rock, regular rock and roll, oh, more yeah. accessible sounds. Um, I, I, from 16 on, when did you start joining bands? When did you start like actually oh, playing out? Immediately. Oh, God. If you're, if you're in high school and you are playing instrument, yeah. I don't care what you look like, someone else is going to say, dude, I need A and fill in the blank. Right. Or I know a band that needs A, fill in yeah. the blank. Yeah. Uh, especially if you have any good chops, Word travels fast. Dude, this guy's like the next Eddie Van Halen. You're 16. Yeah. You're not going to be the next Eddie Van Halen, okay? Yeah. But You're going to be the, you. But the perception at the time is True. this guy just played Unchained, or he just played the intro lick to Panama. Yeah. Yeah, maybe, okay, he's going to be the next one. Where me, I'm doing the Gallup riffs and everyone. I got known mm-hmm. as being the uh, junior Steve Harris from Iron Maiden. Yeah, because that was your main influence. That was my main influence. So I learned like every Iron Maiden song I read, every type of tablet I get. And we didn't, computers were still dial up. So I'm not going to do the modem noise, but it was disgusting. It was horrible. (laughs) So it was just by watching videos and watching live performances Mm -hmm. uh, because most of it I was tone deaf. So I was like that for a long time too. It took yeah. me a long time to develop my ear. <laughs> oh yeah. Oh, if you play no right now, go, what is that note? I'm just going to look at you. It's, I have no idea. I, I wish I had that type of hearing yeah. and I wish that I note that. is the seventh fret on the B string. <laughs> That's what yeah, that note is. Same thing. I didn't <laughs> learn. I didn't learn scales or arpeggios. What I did is I grabbed my bass and I went to any other bass player I could find and yeah. say, can you just show me? Can I come over? Can you just yeah. show me some stuff? Right. That's that's how I learned too. Yeah. That's most of the things is I would learn from other musicians. Like I would see somebody play a riff, and I would think, oh, that's a, that's awesome. And then yeah. I would learn that riff from them, and then I would mold it into my own thing and add that to my musical bag of tricks. Oh, yeah. And that's mostly what I am as a musician is a collection of all these sounds <laughs> yes. that I've heard, and yep. then I try to put it together in a combination that is unique and enjoyable to listen to. Exactly. That's all I. Yeah. That's all I do. And it's That's awesome. It, it's worked for me. It's served me well for a long time. However, mm-hmm. uh, when I started jumping into other bands, I said, look, we need a bass player. We need you to learn these songs quick. Yeah. Then it's, oh. Yeah. Now, no. Yeah, okay, yeah. now. And, but I found that is if I can meet with the guitarist, okay, right, well, what right. are you playing or what are you hearing? What do you want different? Yeah. Bring pen, bring paper, pen and paper and write it down. Yeah. Make some notes. So in high school, playing with, uh, I played with one band, Pretty much exclusively. Mm-hmm. What we was the did, name of the band? Uh, Rites of Passage. Oh, okay. Now, after that, we did. Uh, we jumped in a van, toured around, did a nice. bunch of West Coast stuff. And okay. And where were you guys based out of? What 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 town? Because obviously, L.A. area, right? Oh, it was Santa Clarita, oh, Saugus nice. area. It okay. Was very local. Very cool. Uh, played a lot of talent shows. Nice. Won a lot of stuff. Yeah. Uh, the singer we had, a guy named Jared, was out of Moore Park, and the guy was like Jeff Tate. Oh, that's awesome. Operatic highs, yeah. great lows. I mean, the guy could really nail it, especially yeah. when we were doing Queen's Right covers. Yeah. 
So yeah. we started writing our own stuff, and it was very, you could tell, dual guitar harmonies. There's the fifths, there's the sevens, there's the unison guitar solo while the bass is holding it down, there's the double bass drums, the galloping. Yeah. So, you had all the elements of your Iron Maiden days. Yeah, the problem present. was it was two years too uh-huh. late because Got it. at that time now, going in 1988 into 1990, the yeah. biggest thing, I mean, you. For me, was like Seventh Son of a Seventh Son, Iron Maiden. Nineteen eighty eight was a yeah. huge year. Eighty six saw Guns N' Roses, mm-hmm. Appetite for Destruction. Yeah, that was and the first CD I ever bought with my own money. By the way, oh really? Yep, that was the first CD. I think, CD. I think I was eleven. Oh, and man. I bought that at the store. For some reason, they sold it to an eleven year old. Yeah, but it was amazing. It changed my life. The best awesome. thing was the variant cover when you opened up the oh, jewel god, case. Yeah. Oh god, yeah, with the monster jumping over mm-hmm. the fence, and yeah, it was just. It was insane. I had, my brother had that poster in his room. My dad would walk so in rad. every day because there's a uh, there's his victim laying down with her shirt exposed open with uh-huh. the breast hanging out. Yep. And the monster. It, yeah. Yep. And then there's some robot wind up guy standing yeah. looking at her with a whole yeah. bunch of little monsters. So <laughs> it, it stuff like that, uh, especially like uh, the parental advisory, the best sticker an artist can put on oh, their cover. Yeah. Warning, you know, lyrics. Mature content. Exactly. Yeah. Parental advisory, that little white and black sticker. I might not even know the band. I see that sticker. I want that album. Well, exactly. Mm-hmm. I mean, you got to love it. So for yeah. us, part of it was heavy metal, throwing the horns, connecting, wearing black jeans, wearing the black <laughs> heavy metal t-shirt, oh, yeah. growing your hair out, wearing the flannels starting in 1990. So after I graduated high school, I jumped in with different bands uh, mostly in the local L.A. scene. I mean, honestly, uh, it was nice when I could wear jeans on stage again because in the 80s, I did wear spandex on stage. Oh, like wait, places, you, you like, actually wore spandex? Yeah, God, it's bad. <laughs> uh, Hopefully, I, we'll be able to get a photograph of this and you'll see it on our Twitter page. Oh, so. God, that's horrible. Now, there's pictures somewhere. Uh, it was, you know, Iron Maiden was doing it, so we figured we would do it and mm-hmm. everyone else was doing it and tight. And spandex was a cheaper way of wearing black leather. Right. Right. We couldn't afford leather, and I don't know how guys did, especially with coke habits and drug habits and everything else. Yeah. But trying to be uh, kids, some, a lot of these places would let us play, mm-hmm. and when we were under 18, and then it's like, okay, out. Yeah, you have you, to leave immediately. Yeah. You're not allowed to be in here loitering or exactly. you're underage. Yeah. Drinking yeah. laws, being what they were and yep. everything. So it was hard. So a lot of places we would play were mostly backyard parties. Mm-hmm. Our clubs that, as long as we played before 10 p.m., we were okay. okay. Curfew was 10 p.m. Really? So if you were okay. under 18 driving around, the cops pulled you over, they would tow your car, typically, and take you back to your parents' house. They weren't wow. just going to let you go. Was this communist Russia? <laughs> it's insane. It's insane. So, yeah, the 90s, well, the 90s were rough. Um, That's true. We had, there's a lot of violent crime. You had the crack epidemic of the 80s. <laughs> You're just coming out of that. So, yeah, yeah, I'm sure. Musically, MTV shifted yeah. their programming. Mm-hmm. VH1 was known for music, but it was all pop and light rock. Right. Nothing right. With, Nothing that could be offensive with the occasional bleeped out, you know, Nirvana tune. Right. By the way, speaking of that, I, I always have to give a shout out and a fuck you to Jane's Addiction. Wait, explain. Okay. I don't know the story. Jane's Addiction, great band. Yeah. Perry Farrell, brilliant. However, been caught stealing. What do you it, mean? The lyrics, it's all right, it's fucking fine, and it's mine. They played that song on every radio station, MTV, VH1, everything, but because of the way he sang it, and they put different lyrics inside the jacket. He's cussing, and you were not allowed nice. to cuss on TV. Nice. At that point, no cussing whatsoever. Nice. Nothing, shit, fuck, ass. All, even ass wasn't allowed on yeah. TV. Yeah, I remember. And on your own radio station, if you read, <laughs> and those who knew the lyrics knew he was cussing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's, that's smart. That's yeah. real smart. And there's people that say, no, that's not what he said. But then you see him sing it live, and they are saying, that's exactly it's what fucking saying. fine. Yeah, that's Come awesome. <laughs> so the, for me, as a kid, because I'm a very firm believer in you know your First Amendment right. Yeah, I absolutely. If a song, you, you shouldn't have to cuss for the need of cussing. That's my problem with a, a lot of rap and certain songs that I hear on the radar today where a lot of people are involved with it. Right. The profanity content. If you have to cuss in it, it's making sense lyrically, lyrically that's fine. But yeah. some people cuss in their songs just 
to cuss. Yeah. It's like watching Glengarry Glenn Ross. Right, exactly. It's just for like shock value or yeah. like look how cool I am. Like, no, I get it. It's not actually part of the message. You know what I yeah. mean? It's not part of what you're really trying to say. You're just trying to be provocative in a way. Yeah. And it's like, eh, I, I can, I'm kind of over it. Does it really need it? So, yeah. Right. Well, for me, it's mm-hmm. uh, 1990, you got uh, Queensryche. Nice. Was a huge influence on me. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jeff Tate singing. Right. Uh, Michael Wilton, Chris DeGarmo, their guitar work. Those guys would pick through chords and do variations that wasn't the standard chord. And it worked. You could play the chord with all the fingers, just play the chord through. Yeah. And it sounded like crap. Right. But if you picked it, it was beautiful and melodic. Uh, Eddie Jackson on bass. You know, there he is playing that uh, Spectre, NS2. For me, that was another guy that just, he was holding the bottom, playing guitar lines, mm-hmm. holding the bass line down, mixing with Scott Rockenfeld, and keeping that low in there. So for me, that was another bass guy going, wow, this guy just does it. He's just yeah. on. And he wasn't trying to be flashy or anything, and he's singing backup vocals. Yeah. He was just an all-around musical powerhouse. Yeah. yeah. And he's awesome. one of the most underrated you know, bass players. Out there, and I mean, Jeff Tate, you know, you go on for hours and hours and hours singing. Oh, God, yeah. I mean, Jeff's just amazing. The, uh, and you know, I've seen him recently live. Mm-hmm. I've nice. talked to him a couple times, saw him with a recent Avantasia. That's awesome. And then, same thing with his uh, own band, Operation Mind Crime. Yes. Uh, I know his daughter's been singing with him too, and her band's been opening up I think, for him. Didn't they play locally recently? Yes, they did. Yeah. And they're going to awesome. be back uh, October. Nice. So, okay. Yeah, another way to see him. But, Here's bands like Iron Maiden that are still doing it. Mm-hmm. Queensryche. You still got uh, Metallica, Megadeth. The Black Album from Metallica is still getting huge. Oh, yeah. Uh, another epic. Uh, never been a big Metallica fan because when you, for me, mm-hmm. Ride the Lightning, Master Puppets, you hear the earlier stuff, the yeah, thrash. The, yeah, thrash. And it was so yeah. raw and aggressive. Yeah. And then you got to the Black Album, and Bob Rock, I think he did a great job on it. And It's something completely different, and for yeah. what it is, it stands on its own two legs, but being so different from their previous work, it threw a lot of fans off. It did, and then you got yeah. something like Inner Sandman, which is right. very derivative of Black Sabbath tunes. Right, right, and yeah, I can, totally, honestly, I can totally see that. Honestly, it was the worst song on that album. <laughs> yeah. But that's you know just my opinion. No, I, uh, also, being in cover bands and having to cover that in every song I'm in. Uh, there's yeah. Sweet Home Alabama is another song that when I hear I cringe because I've had to play it so many times. Right, right. Mustang just, Sally. I mean, there's songs you just don't want to play anymore. Even working <laughs> in the music store, just <laughs> hearing them so much made me yeah. not interested. You know, like Metallica, like, yeah, I, I've heard them so much growing up, you know, and as... As a person who likes heavy metal, that's the number one question I always yes. get. When like, oh, what music do you like? Oh, I like metal. Do you like Metallica? No. No, yeah. I don't. Not anymore. You ruined it Not for me. Thanks, pal. Well, it's like, tell you what, you go buy the Load and Reload albums, yeah. and then you tell me you still love Metallica. The, the mix, everything was on. The, uh, well, I got to meet a while back Jason Newstead. Cool. An amazing guy at the time. He had this huge flowing... Mohawk. <laughs> so imagine a mohawk, but not putting the egg whites or the glue right, and right. putting it up. And it just is flowing back. Yeah. Had, his sides were shaped. So you look at bass players nowadays. And yeah. I'm, I, hey, I, I'm rocking the same hairstyle. Oh, I, had, yeah. I had hair on top, and the sides and round were all shaved. So it looks like an overgrown mohawk. Yeah. But his was long. It was awesome. But I, I met him and saw everything that happened, what he went through, what Metallica put him through. Yeah. And as a bass player, that's always a concern. We're always known as... Dude, you know a bass player? Why? Because bass players usually had the van or the truck. We had the PA. Right. We had the gas money. We had the connections. <laughs> or we're the guys. The bass player is always the reserve, quiet guy that had all the connections. I could see that. Hey, the lead guitar, the guitar players were the guys standing at the front of the stage getting all the attention. The lead singer, well, everyone's going to look at him. Yep. And the drummers, well, the drummers were always awesome because, you know, three quarters to the set, they do a drum solo. Yeah, nobody wants to hear a bass solo. You know what happens when a bass <laughs> so, when a bass player starts doing a bass solo in a hard rock or heavy metal band? That's when everyone starts going to the bar. Well, yeah, and there's hundreds of thousands of memes for this. I know it's it's, it's become its own its own running joke. Yeah, <laughs> I get it. But I mean, it's super yeah. it's super important to to have that driving force in you know the rhythm section for sure. I'm not gonna yeah. sit here and put down bass players. I'll absolutely defend bass players with my life. <laughs> but I mean, yeah. So going through all those different genres of, of music and the influence and then starting to actually tour in like your first band, even if it's just driving up the coast and going to different venues and calling ahead and in the getting passenger yeah. van sleeping on your amps. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, so what was that like? Exactly. It like, sucked. Yeah. It, yeah. Um, when you're young and impressionable and, and minimum wage at the time was like, 
two twenty five an hour. Oh God! So <laughs> we would jump in a van and uh, just we'd we'd call, and you could only phone call. I mean, yeah, there was no internet or anything, so you just call and try to book. A lot of places said just come up here, and if you're here, we'll let you play. Cool. So we just jumped in a van and we did it, and we had cassette tapes at the time. There, nice. We, there were no CDs at yeah. that point, so yeah. it's whatever you could burn and copy in a dual cassette player. Right. Writing out your own lyrics and you know writing everything with little sharpies on the outside. And hoping that somebody will recognize you or call you. Yeah. And there were bigger bands that paid money for distribution warehouses and everything. Yeah. You got to have that bankroll if you're going to do something like that. You know, well, a lot of t- people didn't. At that time, record labels were picking up artists left yeah. and right. Milk you don't dry. have, obviously, we don't have that anymore. I mean, right. the independent record labels is pretty much where it's at right now. Yeah. Representing yourself. We have the tools and the technology and the distribution and yeah. the media. We have everything that we can do on our own. Like even this podcast, yeah. it's just all. All on our own, you know? I mean, Absolutely. it's just, you have the tools at your disposal to do whatever you want to do. Yeah, at that time, we, we really didn't. So you, yeah. it was hard to give away a full cassette. So most of the time, you had a cassette that had snippets, 30 seconds of each song. Right. So that's what you would hand out. Same thing when the CD first came out. CDs were expensive to burn at the time. Oh, I bet. So you'd have just like little cuts and clips of each song. And so it's, that's all people would get. I mean, yeah, I, like I little remember, demo reels and things, yeah. Oh, my God, I had stuff from, like, uh, Warrant. Nice. When I met those guys. Yeah. Uh, there's so many different bands. Uh, Slaughter was another one that they would release a single. And this mm-hmm. was brilliant. They would release a single, like, say, Fly to the Angels from Slaughter. Okay. And then the next song was, like, it showed five song titles. And you're thinking, wow, this is great. No, it was, like, ten seconds of each Of each song. one, yeah. So it was mainly the course, the hook. And right. it was, like... I hope that was enough for you to buy the entire yeah, album. Come buy the album. Yeah. Now, when you wanted to buy it, and I know you know this, you had to buy a CD. Yes. And you had to buy the entire CD. Yes. You couldn't buy individual songs, no. individual no tracks. iTunes, no. nothing like that. Just had to, uh, everything. This is before uh, LimeWire and oh yeah, Napster and everything else. So mm-hmm. you could go to there were Blockbuster Music. You could go there, right? And you could try the CD. They would open up the jewel case, take the wrap off, and put it in a CD player, and you put on headphones. Cool. And then eventually it got to the digital age where it was digitally embedded in this little player. Right. So right. you could press the number what you wanted to hear. And then I remember if you seeing those it, at like targets and stuff. Yes. They would have those like on the wall and it would always be like Sarah <laughs> McLaughlin. Yeah. Or like so and so sings Celtic folk songs yes. and you put the headphones on and yep. press the button and you could hear the tracks. Yeah. <laughs> But at least you got, it it gave you a quick, an idea at least of what you were listening to. Right, exactly. But for the rest of the album, if it Mm -hmm. wasn't the singles, if it wasn't the one, two, or three songs that the record label made a video for, paid radio stations to put it on, Mm -hmm. you didn't know about those songs. And at that time, you had an A and B side. So the A side was like your four or five songs. I mean, Mm -hmm. think about eight tracks. Yeah, yeah. So the A side is the four songs that you want people to hear no matter what. Yes. The B side was. Uh, this yeah. is the other stuff we recorded yeah. at the same time. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, like coincidentally, uh, Guns N' Roses. Yes. Sweet Child of Mine. Yeah. Was a B side throwaway song that the band hated and didn't want to do. Really, I didn't know the, that. They, it was done on a whim, and you know, Slash had a cool hook from what I understand, and they didn't want to do it. They had their album done. Mm-hmm. The record label, the producer, they came in and said, "This song is going to be huge." Even right. bigger than, but we'll do Welcome to the Jungle. We'll put that mm-hmm. out. We'll do Paradise City. But Sweet Child of Mine kind of put them on the map for people that were like, dude, these long hair. Yep. I mean, you got your hair teased up. You're wearing women's makeup. Mm-hmm. You're wearing clothes that uh, you, we're not sure what you are. And this is long before transgender. Yeah. And are you cross-dressing? We're not sure. Mm-hmm. Your guys dressing as women, but talking about having sex with women and sexualizing women were really confused. Right. Right. And we were, you know, eighties going nineties. We were, very, we were very. This is what still happens. trying to figure shit out. You know, this is what happens when you have a whole bunch of uh, love childs from the sixties and seventies. All these true <laughs> with hippie parents. Yup. I blame Woodstock. Uh, blame Woodstock for a lot of things. Well, coincidentally, <laughs> it, it was a different time. Oh, for sure. I mean, every so, every yeah. decade is completely different than well, the previous. Society, one. Yeah, everything our, advances. Our, uh, our moral barometer was mm-hmm. very different. I mean, look at the pictures of Woodstock. How large that was. I know. And then look at what we're doing nowadays. Yeah. And they, they had what, a couple deaths from there. No other so. incidents. Yeah. But if you look at what we've had from other events, mm-hmm. it's rough. And it's not that we're a more violent society. I think the, we just, our morals, we've got more gray area now. True. True. Than black and white. So music fell the same way. 
everything was either black or white. Yes, we want to sign you, or no, we, I'm sorry, we're just not interested. You're not right. viable. You're not going to sell out an arena. Yeah, you're, you're not, not going to make sell. us money. Yeah. I mean, you got bands like Aerosmith toured mm-hmm. for 11 years with their first album. No until shit. Until they got signed by a major record label. Oh, geez. That's 11 years playing the same tunes, pumping it out. Yeah. Self-funding, getting out there touring. That's what hard work does, man. You do that for 11 years, and now look at them. They're fucking gigantic. And that's, well, that's why bands from like 60s, 70s, and early 80s are just timeless. Rolling Stones are going to still sell out venues. I mean, like Bon Jovi, a couple of years back, made $1 billion on tour oh in one year. Oh, my God. $1 billion. They made more than Beyonce. And Beyonce was huge that year. That's insane. Because there's a, there's a big gap that's happening with music right yeah. now, which it happened before in the 80s and going in the 90s, mm-hmm. and it's happening again, where rock is not finding a foothold. There's no place right now for rock, what we would call rock and roll. Now, really, rock and roll mm-hmm. was Jerry Lewis. It was yeah. Elvis Presley. Yeah. So if, if, if you look in the, on the lighter section, you had Beach Boys. Rock and roll... Uh, is come very far from Chuck Berry. So now we have this it's genre, true. hard rock. And then in the 90s, we didn't know what to call it, so we called it alternative. Yeah. It's because an alternative. It fell by the wayside. And, and exactly. the, that's the best thing, too, is there was a recent, I wouldn't say recent, but there was an interview with Slash um, either last year or the year before, I think maybe 2017, hmm. um, where they asked him, like, hey, rock has become a lot less popular yeah. And it is no longer as popular as it once was, yeah. even just a couple years ago. How do you feel about that? He said, I feel great. Yeah. He's like, rock and roll was an underground thing, and it's yes. back in the underground. That's where the best music is made. Yes. And I completely agree with that. Oh, absolutely. Oh, yeah. I can't wait. I can't wait until the spotlight is off of rock and roll, and we stop hearing shitty rock and roll music. It's, uh, it was weird, because I saw a thing on metal, and that... Metal is the master category, and mm. there's like oh god, yeah. nineteen or something, something like, like that. Sub genres: death yeah. metal, gen. I mean, and thrash, speed. I mean, mm-hmm. and somebody went through, and I've seen memes on it too, where guys went through and they list all of them. Yeah, but if you, if you like one, two, and three, then you can't like four, and if you like five, six, and seven, you can't like eight. It's so weird, and it was just wow. There's a lot so, of gatekeeping. You know what I mean? There is. So there's a lot of people out there that will argue. You know, oh, since so for me, one of my very first um, heavy metal bands I got into, a cousin actually introduced me to them, was a band called In Flames from yes. Sweden. Yes, um, they are one of the pioneers of melodic death metal. I absolutely adore In Flames. Oh yeah, but their first, I want to say, four or five albums up until Clayman was yeah. like the where they changed styles drastically. Yes, and then they started incorporating more melodic hooks, a lot more actual singing. And electronic music also in their on their albums. There's a lot more oh, yeah. digital sound, and people lost their shit. Yeah, they really did. People completely abandoned that band after oh, yeah. after Reroute to Remain, which is one of my favorite albums. Yeah. Yeah. Actually, I I adore that album, but I totally get it because their style completely changed. And yeah. that's the same thing with with subgenres. Yep. Is like if you like thrash, you're not allowed to like hardcore or yeah. you know they're actually pretty similar, but you know like metalcore for instance or something like that. And it's it's some people they try to segregate within these already segregated subgenres, and it drives me nuts. Like it's, at what level yeah. do you just say you like metal? I like metal. That's cool, and then you move on. It's like I like food. You like food? Yeah, everybody likes food. Exactly. That's great. Do you like breathing? It's, yeah, of course, it's yeah. fantastic. I love it. And then you get yeah. into like, okay, what's your favorite flavor? And that's all subgenres are, are just the flavor of the main dish, which is metal. Oh, yeah. It just, it, I don't know, it's weird, man. I find a lot of people who gatekeep. Not so much now that we're older, but especially growing up. That was a big <laughs> thing. That was a big part of your self-identity. was oh, like, yeah. growing up, you know, I would, uh, when I started playing guitar and I was playing, you know, around high school and things, again, that question, you know, you like metal? Do you like Metallica? And it's like, yeah. no, I'm not a fan of that. And everybody would immediately lock you in, so you'd have to differentiate yourself. Yes. And then that became who you were, essentially. That's what we would latch yeah. on to was your musical preference. As musicians, well, yeah. Well, your, your one main band exactly. defined who you were. Like, yes. for me, it was Iron Maiden. So right. I, I had Eddie t-shirts. You know, all, Any of the art that was done by Derek Riggs, mm-hmm. I was huge on that. Oh, yeah. So, But to walk across and see somebody with an injustice for all, I'd be like, dude, Metallica, cool. And they're like, yeah. oh, you're Iron Maiden. Yeah, exactly. And it was then, which team are you on? Exactly. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, here which comes, tribe do you belong yeah, to? Yeah, which tribe? And then here's your friend that walks up mm-hmm. with a Rust in Peace Megadeth shirt. Yep. And now the fight is totally on. Oh, yeah. And it's like, at that time, because we didn't have the mass internet, yeah. information wasn't pumped into us so frivolously. Yeah. 
So when they found out something like Dave Mustaine was kicked out of Metallica, yeah. he found out from like one of these rock magazines mm-hmm. or Teen Beat or something that just happened to catch it. Right. And it, that was the biggest news at the time. Oh, and my then, God. But then it also becomes a game of telephone yes. where somebody reads the article and then explains it to somebody and then gradually the story changes it and people are hearing... It goes. <laughs> and they're hearing rumors and yes. false information. And even to this day, it happens all the time. You, oh, you yeah. just hear false info and then you believe it because so-and-so said so, so it must be true. Yeah. And somebody... I heard about that, so yeah. maybe... Maybe these are the actual facts. And yeah, it's just crazy. And now that we have like this community where everyone's so easily accessible to each other, we can, you know, share music and genres oh, yeah. and ideas. It's great. Like you and I, we, we, we make music together. Oh, yeah. We send ideas back and forth via Dropbox all day oh, long. Totally. <laughs> all day long. It's just that's how we do it. And there's plenty of bands that actually do that. And that's oh, how yeah. they write. And we there's no way in hell you could have ever done that back then. Oh, there's no way. I mean, I know the first couple albums I was on, everything was real to real. Yeah. And, you know, we're paying three to $500 for a reel. Yeah. I mean, we're all pulling our money together mm-hmm. and hoping that the sound guy knows what he's doing. And, and hoping you don't fuck up when you're playing your part uh, because you can't do unlimited tracks. You no, know, unlimited no. Unlimited takes, yeah. No, you can't do it. So, but it, 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 well, here's the difference. I found like I could throw on, say, something like GarageBand. It's free. Mm-hmm. It's easy. Real easy to learn. There's so many YouTube videos on how to use it. Yeah. And I run it on my MacBook Pro and I can put, drums down real quick, guitar, all this other stuff. Mm-hmm. Where before, you'd have to be in a band. You'd have to have a rehearsal space, and you'd practice with that band yeah. three, four days a week, over and over and over. Play the songs with the singer. Play the songs without the singer. Play the songs without one of the guitars. Yep. I mean, I had times where some of the bands I was in, I would meet you with just the drummer. Yeah. And we would just put a metronome on. And we would nail the songs. Yeah. Just bass and drums. And we'd be singing the guitar parts or singing the vocals or yeah. something to each other. And there was an intimate connection between musicians there. Right. A lot of that gets lost now with the digital age. But True. the other side of the pendulum is, look, I can write something. I can send it to you within 15 minutes. Mm-hmm. You have it downloaded on your computer. You bring it up. You throw down a couple tracks. 15 minutes later, you send it back to me. Yeah. And we've written songs back and forth and done that. Oh, and it's great. And I mean, but one thing that you do miss when you're sending tracks back and forth yeah. is you miss that ability to become tight as a group. Yes. So everybody, when you're sending things back and forth, you have to basically cross your fingers and hope that the other people in the band know their shit <laughs> and they're down to a T and perfectly yeah. on time. Yep. Otherwise, it's just going to sound like chaos. Absolutely. You know, and back then, I mean, when you're, well, not even back then, but if you're playing with a group and you're actually practicing, you guys become tight together at the same time. Yes. So your timing is basically identical amongst the same members of the band. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, the, you get a uh, more cohesive sound. The last band I worked with was a uh, Californian band called Chase the Comet. Right, right. And uh, they got me to play bass. What it is, uh, Alex was playing guitar, writing the songs with his wife, Nika. Okay. Alex and Nika, a couple years back, came from Russia, mm-hmm. uh, came out here to go to school at UCLA, and wrote a great first album under the name Chase the Comet uh, in my rock band in Russia. Okay. But you can only do so much in Russia. They, yeah. There's not a lot there, and everyone They have told music them, in Russia? <laughs> I didn't know that. <laughs> my friend, they have a lot of music. <laughs> Trust me, I'll tell you this. So they... Uh, they came to, like everyone else does, Yeah, let's go to California. So they didn't, it's not just Hollywood. They came to like downtown LA. Yeah. And then they're living downtown LA where they're just a 20 minute walk to everything. They uh, met drummer Elliot mm-hmm. and they went on tour. They have all backing tracks. Got it. And they run it from a laptop? Well, here's what they did. They, they run everything from a laptop mm-hmm. and Elliot does pro audio. So... Lighting, sound. I mean, this is a guy and that's, that... that's the drummer? Yeah. Okay. And uh, Elliot Sampson. So it's, it's Sampson lighting and sound. I mean, cool. I'll, I'll, give him a, I'll give him a shout out because the <laughs> nice. guy, he's good at what he does. Let me okay. tell you. This is a guy that goes in and finds a warehouse mm-hmm. and they say, we want to throw a party here. We want this big, empty, metallic warehouse to pop with yeah. color because we're going to have 3,000 people here. He's the guy that gets all the DJ. They bring the stage. They bring the lighting, the rigging, everything, and makes the place beautiful. Nice. Well, here's a guy with that type of knowledge who's also a, an amazing drummer. 
So he, I wouldn't say he's a rock drummer like John Bonham. He's more rock drummer like Dave Matthews Band, like Carter Buford. Oh, got it. Okay. He is rhythmic. I mean, the guy is... Nice. And I, I love giving plug to, to musicians because there are some people that just... That, that's going to be a main point of this, <laughs> of this whole podcast. One of our that's, main themes is going to be plug in musicians so people can actually hear about absolutely. them, learn about them. So please, well, like when know, I first, plug away. When I first met you, we, yeah. we, we'd do stuff back and forth. Right. And then one day you, you sent me this thing like, dude, check this out. And it was far beyond anything you thought you were capable of. And I hit you. I called you immediately. I'm like, dude, that riff's amazing. What, what else do you have? And you went, oh, shit. Um, I never thought I would get that yeah. far. I've never yeah. heard that because I always played for myself. Yeah. But you know, then, I never went out and played for other people. Yeah. At this point, I'd never done anything outside of my bedroom. But then progression, two years later, yeah. you're sending me stuff for the leads on it and tapping yeah. and going farther. because the I definitely of, evolved as a musician. Exactly. Oh, yeah. And it's, it's the music you kind of listen to where we went, you know, just four or four time basic music. Yeah. Now, and then you got bands out there uh, like Monuments, oh, Intervals, yeah. Periphery, that it. It just raised the bar musically. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, yeah, they took these jazz elements. Yes. And like these, these you know, jazz theory and threw it through a loop. You yes. know what I mean? So you get a lot of these crazy odd times. You get these crazy hyper intricate math rock riffs that just, yeah. they blow my mind. And it's like a whole new like frontier of music for me. Yeah. It was like when I discovered heavy metal for the first time. Exactly. So before I'd only listened to like country and then like Zeppelin and like Aerosmith. Yeah. And then all of a sudden I heard fucking in flames from Gothenburg, Sweden, <laughs> and yeah. it just melted my brain and I oh. couldn't wrap my head around it. And that's how I feel now with the, hearing these new bands. I love it so much. I they're not myself, even new. They're not even yeah. new. They've been around for over 10 years, but to me, yeah. they're new. To you, yeah, well, I love it. Look, look at the most of my phone is Swedish rock bands. Yeah. I mean, you got somebody there's Syra, uh, Amaranth. Right. Even right. the bands from like Denmark stuff you got Within Temptation in that whole region. Mm-hmm. Uh, you've got uh, Avantasia. Yeah, Germany. So you've got. Everything in that Europe and that, that cluster that are still doing the hard rock, heavy metal, yeah, operatic storytelling. Uh, look at Arion. They did some Avantasia. Yeah, does the same I mean, thing. power metal itself yes. is is gigantic. Oh yeah, yeah. This was a genre that you know started with basically Ronnie James Dio yeah. and playing in Rainbow and yep. it kind of spawned this whole thing. I mean, it's debatable. Some people disagree, but I think Ronnie James Dio was the pioneer of power metal. Well, when they and, say power, because listen to those pipes. Well, yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah. And it was he was the first one that I recall really singing about like you know slaying dragons and wizards and it was just it was so awesome to me because you yeah. know nobody was doing that you had zeppelin with a little bit of the tolkien influences yeah. you've had stuff like you yeah. know, rush yeah you of course which which were more the sci-fi elements and exactly. things like that and then you get yeah, pink floyd you get that alternate reality kind of feeling yeah. from them but yeah hearing you know ronnie james dio just create and birth an entire genre was just unbelievable Oh, and yeah. now it's it's gigantic, especially I mean, in Europe. We throw our heavy metal horn sign. Oh God, yeah, because of RJD. I mean, yeah, it's because you know of where he got that from. Oh yeah, it's from his grandma. Yep, yep. She used to try to get the devil out of him, <laughs> thinking when he was possessed, and that's what she would do was the devil horns, and he just totally adopted it for his stage presence. It's so good, just like so every other pagan symbol that we oh, we so steal good. and everything. I mean, look at the Christmas trees, man. So, Christmas trees are pagan. The first, yeah. the first Christian saint. Whoever who came up with Christmas trees and decorated a tree was executed for heresy. For heresy. Yep. You got because it that. fucking trees were pagan. <laughs> Ridiculous. <laughs> anyway, anyway. We need we're, trees to breathe, but yeah, we're getting to, yeah. we're getting on a tangent. Yeah, that's um so, oh, so, so back to what we we're talking. So, yes. Yeah, so this band met met the drummer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They, yeah. they went on chase tour. Chase the comet. Yeah, so chase the comet. Uh, they got a local drummer. They uh, went on tour. And they were missing an element. So you had the drums in the center, mm-hmm. you had the singer, you had a guitarist on one side. I noticed there's no bass in this lineup. There's no bass uh, because everything was to bass track and they yep. didn't have any other bass player. So that was all in the, the backing track was Correct. programmed bass. Okay. Pre-recorded. Keyboards, uh, second guitar. Uh, really? Vocals. Okay. And so here's the thing they did, which was what a lot of other bands missed. And this was, please, other bands do this. It's amazing. It's awesome. They had a projection screen, mm-hmm. and they got people to make lyric videos hmm. for them for their songs, and for their three singles that they really pushed, they made actual music videos. Cool. And it didn't take a lot. No, yeah. And what they did is that they kept it in time, so they played to a click track. The drummer had in-ear monitors, so every time they played, the track and everything came from the laptop. So left channel, I, I, if I was if I remember correctly, left channel went to the projection screen, right channel went out to the mains, mm-hmm. went out to the front of house. Yeah. And off that line, 
the drummer had ears. So one side was click, the other side was the tracks. And all nice. he was getting was backing track, typically. Got it. He, sometimes he never even got monitor. Okay. But he, re, he learned the songs mm-hmm. and had it all done out by time. So he, and we played these songs over and over and over and over and over, so we had them perfection. Nice. So that rarely were we really hitting bad notes. How, um, how did they, they find you? How, did well, you? how did you guys link up? Not easy to find. I actually ran... <laughs> Very easy to find. Uh, I ran into them at NAM. Okay. And which is the North American Music Convention. This is the one in Anaheim. Oh yes, that we do. Uh, yeah. Well, they usually call the Winter NAM. Oh yeah. Summer yeah. NAM Winter is in NAM Tennessee. It's in Tennessee. It's in Nashville. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so I ran, I bumped into them. We got to talking, traded information, and they said, you know, we're uh, kind of more Gardena, L.A. area. Okay. And from where I was living at, that was about you know an hour to an hour and a half drive, depending on traffic. Mm-hmm. So I, I kind of said, you know, I can't do that at this time. Uh, but flash forward, they, they went on tour. It didn't work. They were on. They were great. But there was a digital sound because there was no bass guitar. Yeah. That whole yeah. rounded frequency of mids and low end being pushed on the stage wasn't there. Yeah. And most front house speakers in clubs can't handle the punch and the low end. Mm-hmm. Typically, that's why you saw bass players with the 8x10, you yeah. know, typical SVT amp peg or whatnot. It's because they needed to push that sound because the yeah. sound guy wasn't going to be able to do anything with that anyway. Every club, really, clubs just need to, it's a pet peeve of mine, spend the money, invest in sound. In the full range, dial, flat response. Dial speakers. it in, exactly. Get someone that knows what they're doing. It's worth it. Uh, so you're not having ringing ears at the end of the night. Yeah. But so, uh, it's funny. We were talking about Swedish bands, Denmark and European right, bands yeah. and everything. Most of those bands are playing like Kemper. They're modeling, profiling. There's a lot of the new modern digital technology. There's no yeah. amps on stage. I know. They just have the empty cabs. Yeah. Yep, smart. So everything is in-ears, uh-huh. and there's no stage volume to have to compete with each other. Mm-hmm. Everybody hears, yes, there's a learning curve with in-ear monitors. It's For Yes, sure. it's not going to sound like you're standing right in front of your amp. You're not going to feel it. And that's, a, yeah. I guess, the biggest complaint that I've heard is yes. being uh, on stage playing something super heavy and being yep. super into it, but not feeling the air move Correct. from an amplifier. It's just, just audio in your ears. My, my advice to people like that, suck it up. <laughs> Swallow your fucking pride. It's so easy. Here's the thing. If you've got a great band and yeah. you've got a great sound, you need to get that sound to the audience, and you need to do the best you can as quick as you can. You've got 15 minutes to get on stage, do yeah. a line level check that, real quick. That's what makes it so... That's what I was saying. Is, yeah. is it's easy. Is It's so easy to to carry and set up when yes. you just have some type of a digital monitoring or a modeling system yeah. instead of having to lug amps and deal with any type of yep. a tec- technical issue, you have it all saved, set up on these boards, whether yeah. it's a rack unit, whether it's a floorboard, and you just run an XLR out to the sound guy, and then you're done. Everything last, is loaded, last dialed year's in, tour. ready to go. Uh, last year's tour, I used the uh, Helix from nice. Line 6. Yeah, oh, amazing. Amazing pedal. Love their stuff. I used Line 6 uh, wireless systems. I've never tried their wireless stuff, mm. so I don't really know. Great stuff. I've seen them. I've seen, like, the Relays, I think is what they're called. The Relay GS10. Yeah. I mean, the G10S. Uh, Great. It plugs right on your pedal board. It's small. It's nice. compact. And again, I'll give a plug. I love their stuff. Line 6 has a, an amazing warranty. When you buy their product, take the receipt, go online. We're not sponsored by Line 6, by yeah, the way. Yeah, we're not sponsored, but Yet. I, uh, Line 6 has been very, very awesome and kind to me. Um, they've been very supportive when I needed stuff. They were mm-hmm. right there for me. Uh, Frank Rashad, and I've, I've talked to John Bevega, uh, Ben Adrian, there's amazing people that work there. Eric Klein is pretty much the mastermind that came up with the Helix. Nice, okay. And Yamaha bought Line 6 out. Yeah, when did they buy Line 6? I heard they bought them, but I don't know when. About three years ago, four years ago. Okay. Uh, I'm not sure the exact dates, because some of it was probably hush-hush and quiet to the normal consumer. I'm sure, yeah. Then the uh, actual official date. We can look that up, though. Yeah, we'll we'll always check after the fact. Here's the (laughs) well. Here's the greatest thing. Line six needed help. Um, People were disenchanted with the spider amps. Yeah, Um, it was pretty much if you showed up onto a gig with a line six gear, you got laughed at. Yeah, dude. Okay, it's not a Marshall. You showed up with a line six. Well, it's not even that. It's 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 the line six. They they sounded empty. Very cardboard. You know what I mean? They were, and they they sounded like toys. And like I I mean I I like for for being a practice amp. I think it's great because you get a little bit of everything, yeah. you know, and, and they're not very expensive. And I get that. But you got what you paid for. Oh, and yeah. They're not loud. There's no there's no balls. It's not a tube amp for sure. So, I mean, you can't. It's apples <laughs> and oranges. But but having, you know, like a, a line six amp 
like a, a solid state and you go on stage with it, it's not even that like people are like, oh, it's not expensive. It's not bougie. No, yeah. it, it's not capable of doing a live show, really. I mean, no. and especially not sitting well in the mix. You're going to have audio issues. It's just not going to work. Well, at the time, if you were a 13-year-old just starting to play heavy metal guitar, yeah. oh, it was a great amp. It had great perfect. little modeling stuff. Yeah. But Yamaha came in and said, stepped it up. And they said, look, this is what we want. We mm-hmm. want to beat out Fractal. We want to beat out Kemper. Mm-hmm. We need a pedal board that we can not just make and put on the market. The pod is already out there. Yeah. The HD500 is it's already Those things out were there. Rad. And they're great yeah. pedals. But we need something that people can plug in their computer, they can record with. They can download stuff too. They can send presets to each other. So it was yeah. a huge task. So it's like an all-in-one Pandora's box. Yes. Yeah, that's well. Rad. And you know, with the latest update now, you can do so much more with. It. I mean, I, I can go on and on about it. I mean, stuff you can control like Office, Microsoft Windows, PowerPoint, and stuff. Line six, if you're listening, yeah, you could really listen- use some equipment. Yeah, uh, I think I need another uh, floorboard. The, the, well, they the stomp is another little. Yeah, the thing pedal. looks really cool, actually. It's actually I've really never cool. played with it, but it looks cool. It's a it's a great unit. It's uh it's only got one DSP processor rather than the two. Okay. So it's not like buying half a pedal. Right. What it was, the stomp was brought out for guys that say, look, I got this huge floorboard pedal. I like my boss pedals. I I, I like my earthquake pedals. Yeah, you like your actual pedals, your analog yeah. stuff. But I want to try something because I want modeling. Right, for, but for like just like a preamp kind of thing? Is that what pre- it's, it is basically? Preamp, cabs, oh, okay. IRs. I didn't know they did cabs. They do cabs now. They do uh, a different, all the effects, all the legacy effects. So everything cool. that ever had that Line 6 name on it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, like uh, the reverbs, the delays. That's pretty rad. That's all in there. That's kind of cool, actually. And they also modeled other people's pedals. Nice. So it's modeled. So they're yeah. not bra- So they did their homework. Same thing with all the amps and everything. They put hours and hours into, of work into these pedals. Mm-hmm. But it's like, I got my own floorboard. I got my own pedals. Yeah. I don't want to buy this Helix pedal thing because it's just as big as my pedal board. And they, they're a little bit pricey. I mean, any of the modeling units, you're looking at $1,500 or it's more. An inve- it is an investment. Yeah. But it's worth it. If you were to price all the stuff mm-hmm. that they put in there, it's thousands and thousands, probably hundreds of thousands of dollars. Oh yeah, I mean, I mean they've, just, they've just modeled the, amps you can't buy anymore, which is great. Like you yeah. get the, you get the Dumbles, you've yeah. got your you know your Tone Kings, you get all these crazy yeah. cool boutique stuff. Like like for me in the studio here that we're sitting in, I have my tube amps. Yeah, I've got my fifty one fifty. I've got yeah. my you know well it's an original PV fifty one fifty, not an EVH. I'm gonna go ahead and specify that. Yeah, I like the PV <laughs> ones better. Um, and I got my Hughes and Kettner. Yeah. Um, and then I've got a Line Six Helix. Yep. And I, everything that I've done is with the Helix. I have yeah. it plugged in, ready to go on the computer. I turn it on. I plug my guitar in. Yeah. It's done. Like, that's it. It's oh, everything. Absolutely. Everything's saved. There's no dialing in. I can plug headphones in. It's for me, as being somebody who has neighbors, yeah. I don't have the luxury of cranking to get awesome tone. And no. It doesn't sound exactly like a tube amp. I don't think anything really will, just because like I'm so used to it. But yeah. it is like 99% there. It's, oh, yeah. It's so good. You can go on YouTube and watch these comparisons where people go from tube amp. And yeah. the, the big, we've talked about this. The biggest misconception with processing floorboards, modeling, mm-hmm. people expect to go to a stock preset. Yeah. Oh, it says AC30, Vox. Yeah. So they, they turn it on, and they expect that to sound like how their guitar amp sounds sitting three feet away from them. Right. But now they got headphones on. Mm-hmm. And they're going, why doesn't it sound the same? Yeah. Well, you've answered your own question. Then they take it a step further. So they got the preset of the AC30 Vox on the Helix mm-hmm. running into their Vox AC30 right, and going, it doesn't sound right. Well, yeah, because you're technically running two amps one into another at Correct. that point, right? So you're going to get a lot of like mixed frequencies and a lot of blurriness. Yeah. And that was something, too, that I learned is like I like running, you know, my modeler through the effects return. Yes. So I'm using my power section of the amp yep. and my cab. To essentially have a two-powered digital preamp. Correct. Which, it's perfect. But if I had the cab on and plugged it in, and I had the cab section activated, it would yeah. sound like garbage. It would be a oh, cab oh, plugged oh, into yeah. another cab, not like in series, but yeah. like literally playing one speaker through yeah. a microphone into another speaker is what it sounds like. Well, and your, it's your, cab, terrible. your cab block on the Helix yeah. and your impulse responses are basically an EQ curve yeah. given out by that speaker cab. Right, exactly. So they're just, they're, they're you know, uh, 
emulating the actual frequencies that a cap would do. Correct. I feel like we're just totally fanboying out on the oh, helix. Oh, it is. It I kind of think we bad. should move on. I mean, I could sit and talk about this thing all oh, day. I, yeah. Just, just check them out. Please, just check them out. Yeah, do yourself a favor. There's so many... Uh, yeah. You're going to like whatever you like. For instance, I, and I'll throw this out too, mm-hmm. I, I do love my dark glass pedals. Dark glass is good. It's, I love it. Doug was so, it was so nice to talk to that guy. Mm-hmm. His crew is amazing and they're very informative. The stuff they're doing for bass players right now is very innovative. So what, what dark glass does pedals or amps? Well, now they're doing amps and okay. pedals. So they had a, they started out just doing a couple pedals. Uh, Doug came out and pretty much said the owner of dark glass, the founder, had an idea of what his bass tone, what he wanted to hear, yeah. and nobody was doing that in a pedal. Got it. So he created a pedal and just built upon that. Well, more and more hardcore bass players are taking a clean signal and they're adding a dirty signal to it. A little bit of drive, a little bit of tube okay. emulation warmth. Cool. To cut through in the mix. Yeah. I mean, and I mean, if you're playing heavier stuff and you have like a well, super clean you Let's know, say we're bass, doing drop C. Yeah. Or we're doing drop A. Any, any drop tunings, yeah. You need something. The bass frequencies are going lower. Yeah. You need to compensate. You need to hear that cut through. So he just the pedals he makes are very distinct in, in tone and sound. Uh, some of the distortion sounds like it's out of phase. Right. And anyone that loves dark glass stuff will just consistently buy their stuff. Well, now they're making amp heads. Cool. Model right after their famous pedals. I'll putting like 900 watt you know, power amps behind rad. the preamp section, what they would get from these pedals, uh, like your B7K Ultra or the Alpha Omega Ultra. Mm-hmm. And now, and they, they make these great, like, 4x10 cabs that when you take the grill off, they look very industrial looking. That's kind of cool. Be- one of the, Probably the most beautiful cab I think I've ever seen without a, gr- without <laughs> a grill on. Very industrial looking. Nice. So mean, like, something like Darth Vader would have in his bathroom. Darth so, Vader's playing bass in his bathroom? That's pretty awesome. That's pretty awesome. <laughs> you know, it's a rumor. I haven't been able to prove that we yet. We cannot but, confirm nor deny. No. So, But it's another thing that there's one of the pedals is mm-hmm. modeled in the Helix. So I, yeah. I can use that too. Cool. Once they get up more, but also how much more is modeling really going to model? Are you going to model every pedal that's out there? You're not gonna, you can't do that. So, But for me, to, to bring it back, the Line 6 Helix was great for me on stage. Yeah. However... Ooh. And here, yeah. No, after all that praise. After all that praise. No, it, <laughs> it wasn't their problem. The, the, we, did, we were doing a club tour. Uh-huh. And How, what, like what size so, venues were you thinking? How many people? Uh, three, no more than 500. Oh, so okay. 300, 500. Decent so 500. Uh, some of them were like 150. Okay. So Chase the Comment ended up com- hitting me back up and saying, look, you know. Wait, how did they find you? Oh, did I'm you find e- them on online oh, or I'm easy to find on Bandmix. Oh, Bandmix, okay. Bandmix.com. Okay. I wasn't Th- sure if like That's maybe not a plug. Somebody. That was <laughs> Okay, there is really no great resource for musicians to go online, post their stuff and to find and Bandmix comes close, mm-hmm. but you have to pay their fees and obviously they, they got to make money somehow. They get to yeah. keep the website and everything going. But you could try <laughs> you could try Craigslist. Uh, by the way, bands out there, if you're going to put a Craigslist ad, don't just say heavy metal band looking for bassist in L.A. area. There are millions of bass players and drummers and everybody else in the L.A. area. If you're not going to say what type of... And don't say we're a Metallica-type band. Look, if you have nothing to show uh-huh. and you have no music, you have no pictures, you have no videos, you have nothing, you're pigeonholing. Why did you take the ad out? It's absolutely ridiculous. Get, you need to have more information. In a digital age where you can record stuff on your iPhone through an iRig on GarageBand on your iPhone, and you, there's plenty of ways I mean, you can... even just like voice memo. You exactly. know what? Just to get it like a feel of the style. Exactly. I mean, it really helps narrow it down. I mean, plus Craigslist, you know, if you, if you actually put your audio up, you're more likely to get a serious musician and not a murderer. Correct. And if you're worried about <laughs> it, there's poor man's copyright. If you're really serious about it, Take mm-hmm. your MP3, go to the libraryofcongress.org. Oh. It's like 50 bucks a song. You copyright your no product. Idea. It's amazing. It's great. It's 50 bucks a song, and you upload your MP3, and you get a certificate back hmm. that even uh, the whole Katy Perry thing probably wouldn't happen had they had that. Right, right. You know, you, you, can, you can have your registration, your copyrights, but something through the Library of Congress, that's the government saying that song yeah. done in that way with those lyrics with that melody is your property. That's your patent. Exactly. Yeah, you're patenting that, that song. Yep. Yeah. And it's like 50 bucks and you could do it right online. It's really not bad. So it's great. So, but at least share something. So that's my cabin. So anyways, back, uh, so yeah. we, we talked on Bandmix a little bit and it's like, okay, just call me. Yeah. 
So the first thing was uh, I took and I learned three other songs, and I did a play th- play along with it. Okay. Put it on YouTube under private. Right, and I, right. I emailed the link to them. That's kind of cool, actually. I like that. It's like a yeah. video audition. Exactly. I like that. Exactly. So, and uh, I made sure my bass level was just a little bit higher. Mm-hmm. And I did that right through GarageBand. Sweet. So I took their song. Yes, it sounds bad. I, I took their music, downloaded it, put it in a, a GarageBand, and then played over it. Right. Well, it's and convenient. I mean, there's Garage millions of apps that you can download YouTube to MP3. Yeah. So until the government or somebody squashes all those, they're there. I'm not going to tell you what they are, but they're there. <laughs> but for a, for a musician to learn these songs, be able to show, hey, look, this is what I did. Here you go. Uh, I got a phone call from Nika, the singer, and she said, hey, uh, what do you expect from me? And I first went, okay, first, uh, I don't know this phone number. I happened to answer. I didn't let it go to voicemail. Who are you? Who are you? Yes, Satan. Well, this is Nika <laughs> from Chase the Comet. You sent a digital video to us. What do you want from me? I said, I, hey, I just like the music. I think it's cool music. It's different than what's out there right now. And it just seems like a lot of fun. And you, you got great pipes. Uh, Alex is writing really awesome music. Hmm. So I'm just interested. And it looks like I'm looking at your videos. You guys are playing all the House of Blues. You're going all the uh, West yeah. Coast. And you did a whole uh, almost East Coast tour. Self-funded. They yeah. did it themselves. Which they means they want to do it. They Obviously, do it. they have drive. And exactly. passion. Yeah. So, I mean, that's obviously something that you'd want to be a part of as a musician. Oh, Makes sense. Look, this band's already doing it, and yeah. they're, they're pulling a crowd. Not the biggest crowd, but they have T-shirts. They have mm-hmm. stickers. They've got hats. Yeah. They've got merchandise. They've got videos. Huge Instagram and Facebook presence. They're constantly doing Facebook Live. Alex and Nika are still, to this day, are still putting up live videos, even just doing acoustic stuff, playing venues right now acoustically. Awesome. So they're still doing it. Uh, but this, I said, look, I, you need a bass player. Maybe it's worth the drive. Let me drive. Let's meet it. So I learned their songs. Uh, Alex sent me all the songs of just bass and drums. Mm-hmm. Learned it. And we'll, uh, we'll come back and a little caveat there. But the, uh, So I learned all their stuff mm-hmm. and went down, auditioned. And they said, dude, you know like 90 to 99% of all the songs. So a couple of tweaks here and there. I pull out my notebook pen. We yeah. make some corrections, changes. And I learned their songs. And then we would meet once a week, sometimes twice a week, if we had a show coming up. Yeah. And we would just rehearse, honestly, for like an hour, hour and a half, because each person was doing the homework on their own. Right. Which is difficult to do when you have a group of people. Imagine like a group project at school. Somebody's not going to be pulling their weight. No, but this But I'm glad it worked out. Yeah. It it actually worked out. Everybody had all the MP3 tracks and the backing tracks. Nice. So there's times where I would rehearse nothing but the backing tracks. So you're hearing click, click. Click, beep, mm-hmm. click, 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 beep. And then the, the background stuff would come in. Cool. And so you actually had to learn the timing of the song. And yeah. it forced you to really look. Yeah. So by doing everything in time to a click track, we played the song the same way every time. So when we mm-hmm. went on tour, the songs were always the same. Now, here's the thing. They did backing tracks. We did video. We had a projection screen. We had flash pots. We had smoke machines. We had our own lighting that we brought in. That's kind of awesome. And here is this huge projection screen behind us with our mu- lyric videos, our, our music video. Wow. And when Nika's singing through the microphone on stage, the lyrics are right there at the same time. It's better than karaoke. Karaoke shows you ahead of time. This was real time. So the stage we did looked huge. So going through, we did a tour. Some of the venues, we almost packed the place. Some places, we had five people. And when you're a band relying on selling merchandise, you're trying to get it to go. It's just not working. Uh, Sometimes that's your gas money to get to the next venue. We weren't signed with a record label. Nobody was paying us to be places. Uh, The good thing was we didn't have to sell out tickets. But we did have a couple venues where we showed up and said, hey, we're here to play. We're supposed to be on at 9.30. And... The uh, venue didn't know who we were. Yeah. Like, what time are you supposed to come on? What time are you supposed to be there? So. We're going to have to pick back up on this in one second. We're going to have yeah. to take a break. We'll come back for part two. Oh, we're um, all, now, yeah. Come, well, come right back now for the we're coming up stuff. to the end of the first, the first part of this yep. episode. We'll come back for the juicy stuff. We'll come back for good. the good stuff. Oh, all yeah. Right. All right. 